Section 103 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The World's Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 103. How an Aztec Boy Became a Knight. By Hubert Howe Bancroft. There were several military orders and titles which were bestowed as a reward for gallantry. One of them, the knightly order of the Tecutli, being restricted to the nobility. To obtain this rank, it was necessary, besides being of noble birth, to have given proof of the highest courage and to have sufficient wealth to defray the enormous expenses attached to it. For three years before he was admitted, the candidate and his parents busied themselves in making ready for the ceremony, and in collecting rich garments, jewels, and golden ornaments as presents for the guests. When the time approached, the omens were consulted, and an auspicious day being selected, his relatives and friends, and a number of great nobles and tecutlis were invited to a sumptuous banquet. On the morning of this all-important day, the company set forth in a body for the temple of Kamaxli, the Tlaxcaltec god of war, followed by a multitude of curious spectators, mainly of the lower orders. Arriving at the summit of the pyramid consecrated to the war god, the aspirant to knightly honors bowed down reverently before his altar. The high priest then approached him, and with a tiger's bone or an eagle's claw, perforated the cartilage of his nose in two places, inserting pieces of jet or obsidian, which remained until the year of his probation was passed and were then replaced with golden beads and precious stones. This operation signified that he who aspired to the dignity of a tecutli must be swift to overtake an enemy as the eagle, and fierce in battle as the tiger. Speaking in a loud voice, the high priest now begins to heap insults upon the candidate, who makes no answer, but stands meekly before him. His voice grows louder and louder. He brandishes his arms aloft and works himself into a fury. The assistant priests gather close around the object of the pontiff's wrath. They jostle him, they point their fingers sneeringly at him, and call him coward. For a moment the dark eyes of the victim gleam savagely. His hands close involuntarily. He is about to spring upon his tormentors, but with an effort he calms himself and remains passive as ever. That look makes the priests draw back, but only for an instant. They are upon him again for they know that he is strong to endure and they will prove him to the uttermost. Screaming vile epithets in his ears, they tear the garments piece by piece from his body, until nothing but the moxley is left, and the man stands bruised and almost naked in their midst. All is useless, however, their victim is immovable, and at length he is left in peace. The candidate has now passed safely through his most trying ordeal, but that fierce look was a narrow escape. Had he lifted only a finger in resistance, he must have gone down from the temple, to be scorned and jeered at by the crowd below as one who had aspired to the dignity of a tecutli, and yet could restrain his temper no better than a woman. All the long months of preparation would have been in vain. His parents would have wept for vexation and shame, and perchance he would even have been punished for sacrilege. But he is by no means yet a member of the coveted order. He is now conducted to a hall in the temple, 
where he commences his novitiate, or period of probation, with four days of penance, prayer, and fasting. During this time his powers of endurance are sorely taxed. The only furniture allowed him are a mat and a low stool, and his garments are of the coarsest description. At nightfall a priest brings to him a black ointment, wherewith to besmear his face, a few spines of the maguey plant with which to draw blood from his body, a censer, and some incense. His sole companions are three veteran warriors, who instruct him in his duties and keep him awake, for during the four days he must only sleep a few minutes at a time. If, overcome with drowsiness, he should exceed the limit, his guardians thrust the maguey thorns into his flesh, crying, Awake! Awake! Learn to be vigilant and watchful. Keep your eyes open, that you may look to the interests of your vassals. At midnight, the candidate burns incense before the war-god, and draws blood from various parts of his body. He then walks round the temple, and on his way burns paper and copal at the four sides of the building facing the cardinal points, letting fall upon each offering a few drops of his own blood. Once only in twenty-four hours he breaks his fast, and then the food, which is taken at midnight, consists only of four small dumplings of maize meal, each about the size of a walnut, and a little water. Even this he leaves untasted if he wishes to display extraordinary powers of endurance. The four days elapsed, he obtains permission from the high priest to complete his time of probation at some temple in his own city or district. For two or three months before his formal admission to the order, the relatives of the candidate make ready for the coming ceremony. A grand display is made of the rich attire and costly jewels prepared for him. Presents without stint are provided for the guests. A second banquet is made ready, and the whole house is decorated for the occasion. On the day appointed, the company assemble as before, and with music and dancing, the knight is borne toward the shrine of Kamaxtli. Accompanied by his brother Tekutli's, he ascends the steps of the temple and respectfully salutes the god. The coarse garments are then removed, and his hair is bound in a knot with a red cord, to the ends of which are appended some feathers of brilliant plumage. He is now arrayed in a garb of rich material, including a tunic, adorned with a delicately embroidered device, the badge of his newly acquired rank. In his right hand are placed some arrows, and in his left a bow. The ceremony is completed by the high priest, who instructs him in his duties, tells him the names which he is to add to his own as a member of the order, describes to him the signs and devices which he must emblazon on his escutcheon, and exhorts him to be liberal and just, to love his country and his gods. The knight then descends into the court of the temple, and music and dancing are resumed until it is time for the banquet to commence. To the guests, at least, this was the most interesting feature of the day, for in front of each one were placed the presents intended for him, consisting of costly wares and ornaments, in such profusion that two slaves could with difficulty carry a single portion. On the following day, the servants and followers of the guests were feasted and presented with gifts, according to the means and liberality of the donor. The privileges of the Tekutlis were important and numerous. In council, their votes outweighed all others, and at feasts and ceremonies, in peace or in war, they always received the preference. The vast outlay needed to obtain this title debarred many who were really worthy of the distinction. In some instances, however, when a noble had won renown in war, but had not the means to pay for his initiation, 
the expenses were borne by the order or by the governor of his province. End of section 103